This is the Bodar Blast by the USS Decatur, with your host, Lieutenant Junior Raid, Daniel Earl. All views expressed on this show are not those of the United States Navy and made by the individuals who are on the show. All music used is used with the permission of the songwriter or is royalty free. This is a feature production of the USS Decatur and is made free to use and free for all the families and supporters of the USS Decatur DDG 73. Olden Dare. And welcome to the Bodar Blast. I am Lieutenant Junior Grade Daniel Ehrlich, and welcome to episode number 11 of the podcast. And thank you for making it so far with this podcast. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have everybody listen. And throughout deployment, uh, it was an honor to hear that so many people from family members to friends to just Decatur supporters have been listening to the podcast. Um, this episode, I'm going to be talking about the end of deployment and have some great interviews for uh, you all on this episode, but stick around. This podcast isn't going anywhere as we enter port, finish up deployment. Um, we're going to go on a brief hiatus for a couple weeks after this episode is released. Um, I need to go on leave as well as a lot of other people. Um, and that's kind of the point of getting back from deployment is the big thing is POM. It's uh, post-overseas movement, leave, and it's a chance for sailors who have been out to sea for seven months, um, often cases in other types of deployments, even longer, uh, to go and just get some rest, um, two weeks of leave to just spend time with their family or spend time traveling or spend time just taking a breather. Um, and that's one of the big things, and uh, thank you to Fleet and Family Services, especially to Mr. Prout, who came on board as we were transiting back from Hawaii. Um, but he was a representative from Fleet and Family Services uh, who helped with our integration, reintegration training. And um, a lot of people might say, hey, you know, that's kind of weird. It, you've only been gone for seven months, and, you know, it's, it's not that hard to get back into the real world. And, yeah, for some people it isn't, but for a lot of people reintegrating into normal society is one of the toughest things and I think the mental health effects of that of getting back into a world off ship reuniting with family reuniting with friends reforging those friendships that you had and sometimes in in some cases losing friendships along the way which is uh, very tough and you know that that is something mental health wise that we need to talk about more in the military is reintegrating and understanding each other and being able to care for each other. So Fleet and Family Services, Mr. Proud, um, did a great job of providing briefs on how to reacquaint yourself into the real world. More and more, we need to focus on the mental health of our sailors and I think that's an incredible initiative by the Fleet and Family Services team uh, here in San Diego. So thank you so much to them. Uh, for helping us reintegrate. I know for me, personally, the last couple of weeks, it's felt a little weird in certain situations, getting used to the process. And to everybody out there, even the cater sailors, you know, it's it's going to be a tough process, but a couple of weeks from now, it's going to be very normal again. We'll get back into it. It might take a little, little bit longer. I know for me, getting used to normal food again on land is very different from ship food. So being able to reacquaint my system to that as well as reacquainting myself to um, not being on the ship all the time, not having work directly in front of me all the time. 
being able to sit down and take a little bit of a break and take a rest and say, hey, that's okay. That's one of the big things that reintegration training really helps you emphasize is being able to understand that you don't always need to be working. And that's kind of an aspect that I've noticed and I think a lot of others have noticed recently is, you know, at sea, you've got work all around you. It's work 24-7. It's kind of our job. But when we get back in the port, especially with the leave period, we kind of don't know what to do with ourselves. So being able to talk about that, and I'm glad it's not just me that's feeling that, it's others. And so it's it's good to understand each other and know that we we all are kind of going through the same thing. But we have an excellent episode for you. As you, I might have alluded to in uh, the beginning of this episode, we have returned from deployment. Seven months uh, of deployment, 210 days gone, 65,000 nautical miles traveled, or just around there. Uh, six port visits, uh, twice to Guam, once to Pearl Harbor, Busan, South Korea, Sasebo, Japan, and Singapore. Um, and what a deployment it was. You got to follow us along for all of it on our social media, on this podcast, um, and with Starlink. And that's the great thing that we've been able to enjoy with you is being able to share that Starlink experience. So uh, that is, I I believe, something that's going to be a game changer for the Navy going forward uh, into the future because being able to communicate with your family at sea, it was, uh, for me, being able to pick up the phone and just be able to call my parents and say, I'm out at sea, but I can talk to you uh, on, a, on a Sunday morning or do a weekly call. That's that's really kind of technology that we need to continue to invest in, and I really like that we, uh, we got the opportunity to test that out. Um, but we've got a great jam-packed episode with uh, you guys today. First, uh, we had our change of command last week on June 30th uh, last week. So Commander Richard Jimenez... Uh, was relieved by, uh, from command by Commander Matthew Furtado, our former XO, now our CO, um, in a very traditional ceremony. The ceremony dates back generations of naval history to back in the... We, we take a lot of our stuff from the Royal Navy, so back in the Royal Navy days and even beyond that, where it's traditional to be relieved properly from command. Uh, the captain received, or Commander Jimenez received his uh, his commissioning pennant, which is another traditional gift. Uh, it's a little thin strand that you might see flown from the mast uh, all the time, and that is the captain's commissioning pennant. And upon his departure, uh, that is a gift that is traditionally given to him uh, that dates back, again, generations, because that's how nautical history goes. It's, it's very old. But... It was a great ceremony. We were pleased and honored with the presence of Rear Admiral Couture, uh, who is Commander Carrier Strike Group 11, uh, our new Carrier Strike Group commander, as well as uh, Captain uh, Ted Wiederholt, who is the Commodore uh, Commander for Destroyer Squadron 9, our direct uh, superior. So it was a pleasure to have both of them there, being able to... uh, be part of the ceremony, the guest of honor, and the the actual speech giver for the ceremony was Commodore Wiederholt, so uh, it was a pleasure to be able to hear some kind words from him, and know that our efforts as the steady eddy of the strike group of the Desron uh, did not go unnoticed, and that's that's the big thing that Commodore Wiederholt talked about in his uh, speech during the ceremony. Um, to the crew, to everybody that was convened for the ceremony was that Decatur is and always will be the ship that everybody relies on. We are the ship that 
everybody knows it will deliver every single time. And that is something that I cannot emphasize more from the end of this deployment, is that your sailors, your Daring Raiders, have gone out throughout this deployment seven months and delivered every single time. Decatur, when called upon, was able to answer tasking every single time. And that's not just me saying it. That is nearly a direct quote from Commodore Wiederholt's speech. So every single family member, uh, friend, and supporter of USS Decatur should be proud of what this team, what this crew has accomplished. Um, as a result of that change of command, we have a farewell address from uh, Commander Rich Jimenez, our former commanding officer, that he wanted to give to the families uh, friends and supporters of USS Decatur, a little bit of an interview with him. So we'll cut over to that, and I'll see you after this. And uh, I'm with Commander Jimenez, the commanding officer, uh, on his way out. Uh, change of command this week, sir. Uh, just wanted to do a little exit interview you, with you. You gotta add, on his way out, but not on Navy time. So I think, uh, well, not yet. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> I don't think at all. Hopefully not. Hopefully not, right? Uh, but, sir, uh, just a few questions on your way out to the families and everybody listening, the crew. Um, I get where you're at as you're heading out. Uh, is uh, when you look back at your time as commanding officer, what was, what was the highest of the highlights, sir? Oh man, there's so many of those. Um, I was taking inventory on this uh, a couple of days ago, just thinking about my tour. You know, when I was sitting here, and, and uh, there's one, there's one, inst there's one moment that sticks out, and that was our NSFS certification, where uh, you know GM1 and our gunners were step loading the rounds into Mal 51, and we weren't going to pass this, this certification event, and if it, we didn't, that was going to set us back three weeks in our schedule, and we didn't have three weeks to to give, so. Uh, you know, we came up with a plan, and it, it involved the guys, uh, you know, manually loading uh, ammunition into the gun, you know, World War II style, and uh, and, and, and we've, we we were able to complete the certification. And I got GM1 Harper come running out of the five inch and in, in the combat, sweating, asking if we made it. And uh, and everybody in combat was just, you know, and we were like cheering. And uh, that was a great moment. That was that was teamwork at its best. And then our plan that we had devised was just we executed it. And that was at the beginning. And so there's been a lot of those moments where I've just been so proud of the crew. Like every unrep, we get better at than the last unrep that we did. I mean, I've noticed that. And uh, and every time we do a special evolution, uh, somebody always steps up. People do well. Uh, proud moment. We got a port visit canceled in December. Uh, we were supposed to go to Guam. I broke the news. I was dreading breaking that news to the crew, and I did. Not a single person complained. No one complained. Everybody said, "Hey, uh, we have. If they're calling our number to go do this job, we're going to go do it. We're going to go do it well." And. Uh, no one ever complained about that, and uh, and no one ever really gave up. And so there's been just so many moments, like um, on deployment during the workups, where every single sailor on this ship has pushed the limits of their endurance, and every one of them, right now, I can guarantee, has learned something about themselves, 
and they're probably stronger for it, and I'm, and I'm super proud of that. Yes, sir. And that actually leads right into my second question, which is, um, you've been with this crew for going on three years at this point, sir. Uh, what are some things about this crew that make them special, make them different from any other ship in the fleet? Yeah, so with these guys, um, number one, you know, they'll back each other up. And, uh, you know, everybody who, everybody who comes to our crew from a TAD, uh, from another ship, they always say the same thing. It's like, hey, there's something different about your crew. Like, everybody gets along, everybody respects each other, they work together. And, uh, and I started noticing that too. And especially during the basic phase, you know, we were slugging week to week with these inspections. And it wasn't enough for our guys just to uh, just to pass or just to meet a standard. Uh, they were pursuing greatness, and and in everything that we do, everything is done with a certain level of care and with character, and it's done to the best of everyone's abilities. And that's what makes every this, this crew different. It's contagious. It goes from group of sailors like our, our deck department they embody the ethos of our of our culture on the ship so do the engineers so do the gunners and uh, and what makes them different it's contagious it's contagious energy but it's it's the desire to be great uh, to be the best and, and there's a lot of pride in that and I have a lot of pride in that and so the culture is for, uh, for greatness is here and uh, and everybody's bought into that yes, sir. and uh like I said, you've been here for three years. You've seen the ship go from the AE in the yards in the dry dock uh, through the entire workup phase over a year from basic phase to advanced phase to integrated phase, and then uh, through a seven-month deployment out to Westpac, 7th Fleet. Um, what does it mean to you to see the ship grow into, like you've said, sir, what it is today, the team that we have, the proficiency that we have? What, is it, what does it mean to you? Um, I've invested a lot in the ship. I've, like you said, I've seen it go through all phases of the OFRP. But what does it mean? I mean, you know, I'm so invested in this thing and in the people. And, you know, the Decatur name is something that I, it's like the namesake of the ship. I just guard it. I guard the ship's reputation. Um, I've seen it go full circle. I'm probably the most tenured person on the ship at this point. And it just, I'm connected to this ship like, like I would be a family member or, or a relative. And I'm, all, I'm just bought in on it. I, I, this, this ship and this crew has, has been probably the biggest source of pride in my life in the last three years where like, I'm always proud to say that I'm the captain of the Decatur and I was the XO that I was the XO of the Decatur hey Decatur is doing this Decatur is doing that we're doing this mission we're doing that mission you know and uh, and when you've been here as long as I have it's just it just becomes a you know, just a big part of, of who I am as you know, when they hear four bells coming across the brow, Decatur arriving, that's me. And uh, and that's us. That's our ship's reputation. And uh, you know, coming around full circle, I feel I feel like like we've accomplished a lot, but I feel personally accomplished by that. 
in that I think about all of the work that it's taken to go from the shipyard in a dry dock when I first got here to uh, a deployment, bringing everybody back after seven months and executing not just uh, you know what we're told to do, but just executing at a very high level. And that just means a lot to me. That has meant a lot to me over the last three years. And so yeah, I'll miss it. Um, I miss the people. I've seen a lot of great people come and go. Uh, hopefully those people feel the same way about the ship. Yes, and uh, just to wrap it up, sir, what are your final thoughts uh, and remarks to the crew, the families, and the Decatur uh, supporters and listeners listening right now? Yeah, so to the crew, um, you know, I'm going to miss all of you guys. Like I said, you guys have made this tour uh, just a great experience for me. I couldn't have asked for more from you guys. And uh, like I said before, you know, I'll never really have the words to, to, to thank you guys enough for what this has meant to me. Uh, I'll say Commander Furtado is the right person uh, to succeed me. Uh, he was a great XO. He's going to be a great CEO. Uh, the crew will support him. And uh, just keep doing what we've done. Uh, we do things the right way here. And we do things as a team. And so as long as we keep doing that, uh, Decatur, will always be, uh, Decatur will always be successful. For the families, the families that have sacrificed a lot. Man, I'll tell you, there's so many... Uh, kids being born, like families, babies being born without, you know, the, the fathers or the, or you know, the relatives being here, and, and you know, everybody else, just like me, have missed graduations and and high, and high school ceremonies and and you know, the death of a of a loved one, and everybody everybody has sacrificed, and and so have the families, and so what I have to say to the families is, is thank you for supporting the people who were out here with me, uh, to allow them to do the job that they did because they did a spectacular job. Uh, they can't do that job without the families and so uh, and at the end of the reason the families are the whole reason why we're out here doing this and so uh, but a big thanks is owed to the families for their sacrifice over this deployment in the last seven months and then just uh, to uh, to a group of folks who uh, I have held near and dear to my heart that's my officers um, the JOs have made this job exceptionally fun. Seeing the Navy and experiencing the Navy through your guys' eyes has been really great. I've enjoyed training you guys. I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of that has been, you know, just a big part of keeping me going is training the JOs on how to be surface warfare officers, how to be good officers, how to take care of people, and that's been a lot of fun. Uh, to my department head group, uh, Kyle McDavid, Kevin Tao, Jasmine Malpin. Anton Winston and Sarah Klein, uh, all of those folks are future commanding officers, and uh, you know those those are the people who I could never thank enough uh, for supporting me as the captain, and they've just done a spectacular job, and uh, the Mustangs as well, uh, subject matter experts in every category. But uh, the wardroom has been awesome. I've been very hard on the wardroom, uh, but you know the officers are usually the ones that get the fewest thanks bear a lot of the responsibilities, but uh, it's been great watching uh, the team grow from the wardroom. Thank you.
sir, for uh, talking to everybody before you leave, uh, before your change of command. Uh, it's been an amazing time having you as a commanding officer. I thank you for uh, coming on and sharing your final remarks uh, before your change of command. All right, thanks, Danny. Holy Derry. And thank you, sir. It was an honor to be able to serve with you. Uh, you were my commanding officer for a year and a half, and thank you for sitting down for this interview and allowing everybody to hear your final thoughts as commanding officer. Uh, Commander Jimenez is going out to the PEO out in uh, the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C., and will be continuing his career there. So fair winds following seas to you, sir. Thank you so much for what you've brought to Decatur over the last year and a half of your time here. Uh, you really have made a difference, and thank you for everything that you've taught me. I know that we've sat down privately and discussed everything that you've taught me, all of, the, all, all of what you've done for me, and uh, I just wanted to say publicly thank you so much for being an amazing commanding officer. So, uh, Moving on, I know this is going to be a very extended episode prior to the brief hiatus, but we've got an excellent interview today. My combat cameraman, the command's combat cameraman, the man behind the camera, that you see all of our social media photos in, all of our, uh, ev everything visually that you can see from Decatur is through Mass Communications se Second Class, Mass Communications Specialist Second Class, David Negron. He is truly a professional. Uh, he came to us temporary duty from Navy Public Affairs Support Element uh, West over on uh, Naval Air Station North Island here in, uh, over in Coronado. And he spent uh, the last nine months with Decatur uh, from September of 2022 until just recently, right after change of command, uh, leaving temporary duty to go back to his uh, to his home command. But he was our man as far as being able to take care of telling the story of Decatur. And you'll hear in our interview that his task from Commander Jimenez and from me partially too was to tell the story of Decatur. That is the goal of my communication strategy. That is the goal of pretty much anybody's communication strategy in the public affairs side is telling the story of the sailors that make the ship go and telling the story of the ship for generations that succeed us on this ship. MC2 Negron couldn't have done a better job of that. If you ever get to tour USS Decatur or get to come on board and you'll get to see the collage uh, in the mess decks or the various photos that we've hung on the bulkheads, um, or just the smiling faces of everybody on the share drive of the various hundreds and, and thousands of photos that he took on deployment and then throughout our COM2X prior. Um, he earned his Enlisted Surface Warfare Specialist pin as well, uh, underway for deployment, and he was my go-to right-hand man. I could not be more honored to have him on the Bodar Blast podcast to finish out this deployment, um, and I'm so excited to have you listen to everything that makes the cameraman behind the camera go and makes all of his training that he's done and a little bit more about his family. And since he's starting his leave, uh, best of luck to you in the future, MC2. I know we'll stay in touch, but I hope you enjoy your time with your family, uh, your wife and your kids, and uh, I hope your daughters don't drive you too insane. So with that, over to our interview with MC2 Negron. And we've got on uh, a special guest this week for this week's interview, uh, MC2 Mass Communications Specialist, Second Class, David Negron, um, my right-hand man, the, uh, the, I guess the artist of Decatur, 
the man that gets all the photos on social media. Uh, you've seen tons of his photos. Probably some of them are in art galleries around the world at this point. Uh, he gets on a bunch of Navy social media and different publications. He's the best at what he does. Uh, MC2, uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, sir. Uh, so, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a while because you're just a really interesting person. You have a really cool story um, that I want to share with the people as far as uh, your job and your your life and what you the expertise that you bring to the crew since you're uh, one of one. Um, you're you're the only MC on a very small ship. Um, what does it feel like being usually a shore based rate that is being deployed on a, on a ship? Um, well, my command uh, specializes in supplementing ships that don't have MCs as ship's company. So it's something I've been able to prepare for mentally for a while. Um, the day I checked into my command, uh, Navy Public Affairs Support Element West, they let me know immediately that I was slated for the CSG-11 deployment. Um, actually being underway with the crew uh, as one of one, you know, documenting the ship's history on a daily basis throughout the deployment. Um, it is a lot of fun, but definitely a heavy sense of responsibility at the same time. Yeah, and so you talked about being at M-Pace West, right? Um, so, first of all, I mean, what what is your kind of daily, what is your daily routine as an MC? What do you do? What is your uh, job like for the people at home? Um, well, I check the ship's plan of the day a lot, uh, look for any events of interest, um, or, you know, if there's any additional tasking that comes down from, uh, you know, yourself, sir, or, um, any of the other officers or chiefs, first class, you know, they'll let me know if they have something happening that day that they think would be interesting to, uh, show the rest of the world. Um, I just try to get there early, make sure you know, all of my gear is ready, um, and try to just showcase what the sailors are doing every day. Yeah, and you're you're telling the story of Decatur, and um, I mean, the captain. What were kind of his first things when you came on Decatur? Um, when he sat down with you, what was kind of his mission for you when you came on? Uh, remember, he told me to uh, stay de-stressed as best I can. Um, since I'm not ship's company, there's a lot of the rigors of being underway in a larger um, department that fall on to some of the guys in different rates that I don't have to necessarily worry about. Um, and to uh, tell the story of the ship, which um, was something I, you know, was ready to do 100%. Got it. And so you, you talked about um, MPACE, so going back to that. Um, Navy Public Affairs Support Element. What What are some of the kind of what does MPACE do? What's the role of MPACE in the Navy? What's your job at MPACE, and um, what does it kind of bring to the fleet? Yeah. Um, so, I'm in the production department at MPACE, which uh, is all of our, well, not all of our, most of our deployable sailors. Um, typically, you know, brand new out of A school. MCSN up to uh, MC1s, um, MCCs, and they basically get requests from different fleets and other commands when they want to supplement their um, 
command, you know, to have an extra public affairs presence. Um, so like the CSG-11 deployment, the carrier has MCs, they're able to cover, you know, the daily activities of 5,000 people on the carrier every day, but a smaller ship that doesn't have uh, that public affairs expertise, you know, um, typically, uh, still deserves to have their story told, so um, my command makes sure that there's personnel available. Um, whether it's uh, carrier strike group deployment or uh, recently we've done a lot of um, fleet weeks around the country. Um, RIMPAC uh, the previous year, uh, Pacific Partnership the previous year. Um, so a lot of those big exercises that the Navy wants to showcase, you know, we're typically there for. Yeah, and so you guys work a lot in um, perfecting your craft, especially in MPs. Um, what do, you know? How does the training process work for MCs? Usually, a lot of rates go to uh, their A school, uh, and then sometimes a C school to continue to, uh, to advance in their rate. Um, you're you're a wizard, uh, and I've learned a lot from you as far as uh, photography and videography and editing and the entire process for that. And uh, for everybody at home, I mean, if MC two could give like seminars on this stuff, he would be really good at it. Um, but where do you get all that training from? I mean, it's 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 a lot of knowledge that you have. How did you pick that up? Where do you get that training from? Did you pick it up over time? Uh, certainly picked up more uh, once I got to the command and was more hands-on on a daily basis. Um, but our A school is uh, the Defense Information School at Fort Meade in Maryland. Um, it's a joint school, so we're in classes with uh, all of the other branches. We have instructors from all the other branches and everyone else has their expertise um, that they lean into in providing instruction to the students. Um, it's a long A school. Uh, we typically sign a 12 month extension with our contract because you know, it's kind of assumed we'll be in Maryland for a while. I was there about 10 months um, in class for six, which was A school and a follow-on C school. Um, and they just uh, break it down as simply as they can, you know, a uh, couple lessons a day, uh, eight hours a day, if not more, um, focusing on, you know, just the basic photography skills, graphic design skills, videography, article writing, um, being, you know, that representation for the command if need be. Um, like you remember during Comp2X, uh, the CO had an exercise where he was required to basically be the face of the command in a public affairs aspect. So in the event that we ever had to, we could also assist in that kind of thing as well. You know, giving him um, briefings ahead of time before he would have to address the media, stuff like that. Yeah, and have you ever been at any like live media events or been providing any like press releases or, or things like that or is that kind of as you advance up the ladder as an MC? Yeah, I think more so uh, as you put on rank and the role changes. Um, I participated in the 2022 LA Fleet Week, uh, which was very active um, as far as public affairs and we participated in a lot of events, uh, sometimes three or four in the same day. Um, 
not necessarily live news, but being as quick as possible to get the story out um, same day uh, was very much the main effort of that week for us. Yeah, you want to be the ones to break the news, you know? Mm -hmm. Have you ever, I mean, you've been in all these major events, including Fleet Weeks. Have you ever met anybody famous? Like, what are some cool moments that you've had at those, those uh, events? Um, during that LA Fleet Week, we were able to take some service members on a, a tour of the Fox Studios in Los Angeles, which included uh, where they have the Fox, uh, Fox Sports Division. Um, they had some service members on a live segment. Uh, they sh showcased them the rest of the facility, you know, seeing uh, where they animate the Simpsons, uh, sound stages that were used in feature films. Um, met a Medal of Honor recipient, um, who unfortunately, his name escapes me, but he is the gentleman who had Tom Hanks superimposed on his archival footage from uh, meeting the president um, really? when he received the Medal of Honor. So that scene in Forrest Gump, uh, we met the actual gentleman who... Uh, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. The, yeah, the guy from Forrest Gump, like the exact like scene where he met the president during his like Medal of Honor or something. Yeah, yes that's sir. That's awesome. Yeah, so he, uh, he gets a kick out of that. He gave a really uh, poignant speech um, one of the last days of that fleet week, which uh, coincided with Memorial Day. So that was... Uh, one of the coolest things I had experienced, probably up to deployment, you know, and deployment added a whole bunch of new stuff to the list, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, Fox Sports, that's that's just the dream for me right there. I know I know for me, like, that's that's kind of the dream, and being on the studio, being on set, that's pretty freaking awesome. Like, I, I envy you on that. Oh, you, you talked about deployment, and, um, I mean, you've been, it's your first time underway on deployment, and you have been... The, the guide has been able to capture, and the captain said himself, he's fulfilled your mission of telling the story of Decatur. And I think everybody at home that listens to this podcast, checks our social media, has seen all the photos that we release, um, all the photos in the P-Ways, the collage that we're so proud about, um, that we put up together. Um, that, you, you told the story, but you've been able to be at tons of major and momentous occasions for Decatur. Um, throughout Com2X and deployment, um, what's one that you're you're just blew you the way the most? Like, what what's one moment that you got to be able to be a part of that's just separated from the rest? I remember doing, um, I think our first joint exercise with the uh, or bilateral exercise, excuse me, with the Japanese Maritime Self Defense Force. Um, it was towards the end of the day. Everyone's kind of ready to eat dinner. Uh, but then they were just running flight ops with the Nimitz like constantly and just having jets rolling over Decatur um, for over half an hour being on the bridge wing taking photographs of that um, helped drive home the point that you know we're out here for some important you know, uh, showing these other nations that we're available to them and have their backs as well it was a uh, pretty awesome yeah I mean you've been at a lot of major moments uh, and for everybody at home I mean this guy has had his his stuff featured from the chief of naval operations daily brief to uh, magazines such as task uh, and purpose to 
uh, All Hands Magazine, Navy Times. Um, you've even got it featured on some local papers. Uh, some of our sailors have been featured because of you in local papers. Uh, you've been featured on pretty much every echelon of the chain of commands, uh, social media from Big Navy, uh, Indo-PACOM, Seventh Fleet. I mean, your your list is long. And recently, you were almost always uh, also named uh, Junior Sailor of the Quarter uh, for uh, MPACE, and that's all of MPACE. So there's multiple branches for everybody at home of MPACE. There's one in San Diego, which you're a part of. Uh, one in Norfolk. Uh, I think there's one in Everett too. Um, and there's one yes, in sir. Japan. Um, uh, some out in Europe as well. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of them. So there's there's tons of them, and you are selected of everybody across all of those commands uh, as junior sailor of the quarter. Um, you've seen a, a meteoric rise. What keeps you uh, focused on the mission, and what's kind of the best? Um, what's the moment that you're most proud of, or the the achievement you're most proud of since you, you came? Um, I'd say what keeps me going is uh, just trying to showcase a sailor that I haven't had the opportunity to do that for yet. Um, I remember earlier in deployment, uh, MM3 Winsu came and stopped me and was just saying, you know, thank you, thank you. And it's like, yeah, and I'm like, what, what did I do? <laughs> and uh, he showed me um, he's uh, originally from Africa, enlisted in the Navy, and a photograph that I took without any knowledge to me um, was of course published on divotshub.net where all of our DOD imagery is placed and ended up being picked up uh, regionally in his area of Africa. Yeah, in Benin. Uh, yeah. He's from Benin. Yeah. And he had friends and family just messaging him, you know, blowing his phone up out of the blue, saying, we saw your picture. Um, and it's just, you know, despite being in the rate, it's just, like, not something I really thought would be possible or would happen, like, being in, happening to me, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's a life-changing experience for not only the sailor, but for you. I mean, your, your work is going international, and for it to kind of span across borders, I mean, that's huge. Um, and you've taken hundreds, probably thousands, maybe even 100,000 photos this deployment uh, and beyond, and in COM2X as well. Um, and I, I'm going to be really sad to see you leave because, uh, hey, I'm going to have to start taking photos again, uh, and my photos are not nearly as good as yours, and everybody will see the quality drop on our social media. Um, but also because uh, you're just a... Your, your quality and just the, the way that you do things is amazing. Like I said, you've taken so many photos. What is one photo that you are the proudest of? The one photo that you, from this deployment, that you, you can point to and be like, that is the photo that I'm most proud of? That's a good question. Um, I think I would probably go as far as ones that were released publicly, the, the one of our RAS uh, with the Nimitz uh, early in deployment, you know, when you're kind of thrown out here, well, not necessarily thrown out here, but when you're, when you're one of one, kind of feels that way. You're just like in it all of a sudden. Um, but having that photograph get uh, recognition um, 
and again, like it's not like when I took it, I was like, oh yeah, this one's gonna blow up. This one's gonna be great. You know, I'm just like doing my best to document whatever the mission is that day, and um, so that one making the rounds felt really good. Um, and of course, uh, some of the more mission-oriented uh, photographs that we've taken, um, as far as uh, Snoopy and Optask VI, which is a big part of the job underway. Um, that was very rewarding too, just to feel like I'm contributing in other areas besides just the uh, public face of the command. Yeah, and you're contributing to the mission. Um, this is your, I mean, like I said, your first time long-term underway. First time on, on a destroyer, pretty much, um, on your, in your career. Was there a learning curve when you got here of just learning where to go and what to do and how oh, to be yeah. on a small boy? Yeah. Uh, I think it'd, it'd be like that for, for any ship, but, um, you know, I was fortunate with uh, ISC Rodriguez being there to show me the ropes, um, you know, a quick tour of the ship, said, give it like two days, three days, and you'll kind of start getting familiar with everything. And it still took me two weeks where I'd be like heading forward and realize I was supposed to be heading aft. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, which side am I on? Yeah. Um, but then, uh, you know, after COM2X coming back for deployment, it was really easy just to fall right back into it. Yeah. And now, you know, uh, one of the other benefits of the job, I guess, is um, not having my own workspace has its challenges, but on the upside, almost every other workspace is welcoming. You know, it's like, hey, Institute, come on in. And just being able to go in and hang out with the other guys doing their thing is a uh, enjoyable. Yeah, you kind of become a nomad in a way. Yeah. But you, you talked about, I mean, becoming a nomad and like meeting people around the ship. Have you developed like really good friendships and bonds with people just by sitting on the mess decks and working or eating with everybody or being in people's work centers? Have you been able to develop bonds and friendships from that? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it happened quicker than I would have expected. Um, you know, it being my first long underway for COM2X um, really just focused on doing what I had to do, getting the work done. Uh, but there's that appreciation uh, sailors have. There's just like, oh, well, this guy is here to take a picture of what I'm doing, so what I'm doing must matter. That kind of opens uh, the doors to discussion, you know. Rare target ship, make target ship reports to Central Control Station. Like deck division, um, you know, big burly guys that you wouldn't think would care much what the cameraman has to say or think, <laughs> uh, were probably one of the, like the first departments that were really welcoming just because they realized I was out there every time they were out there, regardless of what the weather was, what time of day it was, uh, just to, you know, show that they're out here doing their thing. And that appreciation rolled into you know, Liberty Buddies hanging out in foreign ports and just, you know, making uh, friendships for sure. Yeah, well, and while you're out and you've been out on deployment with us and that learning curve has developed, and you're not wearing it right now, but I know you earned it. Yeah. Uh, you got your enlisted surface uh, warfare specialist pin. Uh, you got that really quick. I mean, you got on here uh, right at the beginning of COM2X. I remember sitting down with you for the first time and you're like, yeah, I really want to get that pin. I'm like, all right, all right. I like to see that MC2. And at the beginning of deployment, you started going to these East Wasp rodeos, and you sure. earned it. 
Um, what was that process like, um, especially as somebody that's not traditionally based on a ship, um, learning all of these things and now having that pin that you can go forward with in your yeah. career? Uh, full disclosure, I did take it off, but it's on my whites for tomorrow. Ah, ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, the process was intensive. Um, again, probably one of the things that helped me along the way, thanks to my rate, was just everyone's like familiar with me. You know, I'm not like buried in a work center in some compartment of the ship. Um, I'm out and about every day, and so people recognize like the well, MC2's here. He's not here long. Like we can help him out, make sure he gets the training that he needs. Uh, you know, uh, DC3, Garrido, DC2 Bowers were very helpful, um, helping me get through a lot of those like, extensive qualifications in that department. Um, and uh, just pairing up with other sailors who were determined to get it done. You know, we studied a lot for a week straight. Um, and CT2 Salazar and I, you know, we're just like, we're going to get this done. We're going to give up some sleep. We're going to spend less time in the mess decks during chow. Like, definitely at least a week straight. It was like every time we opened our eyes to get out of bed, we just went to straight studying all day as much as we could and uh, ultimately paid off. Yeah, it did pay off. And you get to wear your pin, and it's now there for the rest of your career. And you get to go to other commands and be like, hey, I earned my surf in ESWAS pin, I got to go on deployment. That's a big deal in a, in a rate that doesn't go out to sea. So, I mean, that's that's something that you can wear on your chest and be like, hey, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. I've been at sea for seven months. Uh, actually, longer, because you came with us on uh, Com2X2. Yeah, I made sure to uh, get the patch sewn onto my end ups when we stopped in Hawaii. So I've that's taken care of. You walk into the office when you get back to M-Base, you're like, look at what I got. Do exactly. you think the, uh, have you been in contact with the other MCs on the other ships in the strike group as well? Yeah, I have uh, reached out to them um, more so during the beginning of deployment, and I had the pleasure to see them uh, in a few of our port stops. Um, but just, you know, touching base, making sure, you know, they're, they got everything they need, they're doing all right. Um, we have guys uh, on a few different ships out here, um, supplemented by MPACE West and our MPACE West Hawaii detachment as well. Uh, you know, we're all over the strike group. So it'll, it'll be cool to get home and share our experiences. You know, like we were all working the same job every day for seven months, but we just haven't seen each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I, do you think uh, some of them got their pins, or do you know some of them got their pins at all? Or are you going to be the only one? I may be the only one. I know uh, one MC3, um, because he was a third class, they wouldn't budge. Mm -hmm. And another MC3 underway on Nimitz um, was putting in the work towards his qualifications, so hopefully he was able to knock it out here in this home stretch. Yeah, yeah and, and having other MCs in the strike group, is that like competition that pushes you forward? Do you kind of push each other to and continue to improve? Or? Um, subconsciously, yeah. I mean, I try not to uh, compare the work um, as best I can, but I'm, I was just telling the CEO this morning, like, I'm my own worst critic, so it's hard not to. <laughs> uh, but definitely, some, some guys are really great, and I've seen some amazing photos of, like, the five-inch shoots or uh, 
replenishments at sea that just make you think like okay well the next time I have to go out there and do that like what can I do different um, you don't necessarily and it, I mean the Navy's done countless replenishments at sea so how many different ways is there to really capture that piece of the day um, but that's where the creative side comes in you just have to try to think about it a little bit differently if you can yeah. while everything else is going on around you yeah you gotta find that other angle um, that's always a, a cool little like quote that I always like like in my in my public affairs stuff too and I've learned it a lot from you is just finding a different angle to, to take it from um, and you are your worst critic sometimes because uh, going through photos with you sometimes the, what, what is your process for selecting photos and uh, for everybody at home I mean what programs do you use and then how do you kind of go through each photo and kind of narrow it down from you know your day sometimes it's 500 600 photos and narrow it down to four or five photos what's yeah. your process um, so I use uh, Adobe programs um, which are graciously installed in advance on our laptops issued to us at the command um, and it's one of the things that we learned in a school uh, especially in my visual documentation C school that I had before coming out to San Diego uh, was visual variety so you can take however many photographs but you want ones that showcase at least one like small different piece of that event so you know like a RAS for instance I try to move all around the ship because I don't want all my photos to come from the Folksoul's P&B line so just hang out for a little bit, take photos, see if you got what you were looking for. If you did, then I can move on to, you know, back aft where they have the fuel probe going across, people heave in line, up to the bridge wing, you know, the con, CO, everyone up there doing their thing. Um, yeah, just trying to make sure when the photos go up, um, you just have basically that, that variety of the event. So that that C school was very much structured to the uh, point of commander's intent, um, which I try to keep in mind as well. Being underway, uh, you know, if if the CEO were to come and say, "How did this Raz go?" He can look at the images and see, you know, oh well, the PND line got it across. They were doing their thing. You know, um, just basically supplementing whatever the commander CEO is looking for, um, giving him the full aspect of that uh, evolution. Yeah, and your your rate, I mean, is is so specific. Did you pick that out of um, out of boot camp, or how did you come to selecting the rate, and why exactly did you uh, join the Navy? Yeah, um, I joined the Navy because I wanted to serve. I had a job working for the state of Texas, and uh, there was a heavy military environment. It was at a uh, state guard slash national guard camp in Austin called Camp Mabry, um, and a lot of my coworkers were either prior service or reservists. Um, so being in that environment and learning from them, 
made me realize like how much uh, I enjoy being in the environment. Um, but I figured if I'm working for the state, I can definitely you know put in more and work you know for the country. Like I used to joke, like I have the state flag on my sleeve, and, like I can replace that with you know the national ensign and just feel better about it. Yeah. Um, the job was offered to me at MEPS, and I was interested in it, but it wasn't what I was joining for. I wanted to do one of the cryptological rates, um, and ultimately uh, that didn't pan out. Um, and at boot camp, uh, I was offered MC again, and I took it. Uh, you know, after talking it over with my wife, I had gotten really into journalism in general. Um, and I had the idea that the rate would be more uh, journalism as opposed to photography, which it is. It just depends on you know what you're asked to do, what you're tasked to do. Um, photography is a lot of the day-to-day -day because that's what they're looking for right now, uh, the CSG deployment. Um, but you know, being able to put up work that captures a piece of history every day was very, uh, very intriguing. Knowing that, as I mentioned before, I'd be able to move all around the Navy instead of focusing on the one thing, working in the one space on the ship every day. Um, yeah, it was definitely appealing to me. Yeah, you get kind of a sampler platter of everything. Mm -hmm. And you talked about being from Texas. You pretty much lived a lot of your life in the desert. Was it a big change going to sea? From because I mean. I, I know your Instagram handle, which is Seafaring Desert Dweller. Yeah. Um, one of our first followers on our social media, on our Instagram. But was it a big change shifting over from uh, from living in the desert a lot to going to sea a lot and being out here for seven months? Um, not really. Uh, especially this Seventh Fleet deployment was pretty warm, like most of the time. <laughs> yeah. So, if anything, it helped me tolerate a lot of that. Uh, helped me embrace the engineering spaces um, you know it can get really warm down there so I wasn't ever afraid to go into like 90 plus degrees with all the machinery and people sweating uh, granted they have to be in there a lot longer than me but you know it was tolerable like I can go in there and you know do my job while they're doing theirs and showcase them doing their job um, if anything it made going up north a little bit more, what's the word, um, unpleasant, because it got pretty cold up near Korea, so. Korea, <laughs> Japan, yeah, yeah, Korea was kind of chilly, well, even now it's kind of chilly, I just, surprisingly, yeah, yeah, I guess we've been in just warm environments that we're just so used to it, because I, I hate the cold, too, um, yeah. I, I live in Florida now, or at least my parents live in Florida, so we, we're both on the same page, we just don't like cold weather. I was telling somebody today, I do not remember it being this cold when we got underway in December, like in this same stretch of ocean. I remember it being like really warm really quickly and then just staying really warm, especially in the uh, Philippine Sea. It's like 90s every day. Yeah, hot every day. Yeah, and we left in December from here too. Yeah. So. And, and you're in coveralls, you know, you're not in the. Yeah, like, it's like being shorts in one big onesie. <laughs> yeah. T shirt. Well, I've seen you playing with your your wedding your wedding ring throughout this interview. Um, you got a wife at home, and what is it? How what? 
how is the balance between being a sailor in the Navy and being a husband and a father at home? What's what's the balance? Um, it is it is tough. You know, deployment was a challenge in that aspect. Um, but my wife and I have been together a long time. Uh, I met her in 2009, and we got together pretty much straight away after that, and we've been together since. Um, so she knew I was interested in the, in the military off and on. Like when I finally enlisted in Texas, it was my fourth time talking to a recruiter when I finally went through it, uh, you know, signed the paperwork all the way. Um, and I definitely wouldn't be able to do it without her support. Uh, it got to the point where I kept telling her I was interested in joining, thinking about doing this, thinking about doing that. She was like, literally verbatim, are you going to go and talk to somebody and see if you want to do it or not? Because if you're not, I don't want to hear about it anymore. Like, you're going on every day. Like, just go or don't go. And the next day I went. So <laughs> she gave me the nudge and uh, has definitely been there through um, stuff that it's hard to ask somebody to be on board with. Um, but, you know, she's done a lot this deployment, working just as hard if not harder than me at home with the kids and uh yeah, yeah a lot of appreciation for what she does at home as well yeah and how old are your kids again uh my oldest is 12 um, my middle child is five the youngest just turned four and they're all girls uh doing their best to drive mom crazy yeah how, how are they handling you being on the planet dad being away from them for so long uh they they had it was the biggest thing is they just ask when I'm coming home when I FaceTime them and I try to tell them you know it's, it's gonna be a while it's gonna be a while and now that we got into like uh, countdown mode I can tell them you know three more days two more days and they're really excited about that uh, my wife told me the youngest um, had kind of an episode two weeks ago when we were FaceTiming and got off the phone she got upset she was just like I want dad to come home now like tell him to come home now she had to explain, like, well, he can't. He's, he's going to be home when it's time to come home. Um, but uh, the fact that they're not babies, I think, is beneficial. Um, you know, several Decatur sailors had their child, like, on deployment. Um, so that, I think, is more challenging than uh, bringing your toddler into it and letting them kind of be old enough to like understand what's going on you know um, so o overall the family has really been uh, game for it yeah and I know that you're planning on taking some leave when you get back what, what do you plan to do when you get back from the appointment uh, I want to take a few days to just sit around at home uh, which I think is universal <laughs> um, my 12 year old uh, Ellie it's gotten into uh, like theme parks and roller coasters, so I've been saying for a while I want to take her to Six Flags because I don't think she's been on like a roller coaster that intense. So I kind of want to push her to see like, are you really are you really into roller coasters, or are you just like the idea of like rides <laughs> and see how she reacts to that? Um, but well, you know, we're back in time for Fourth of July, so hanging out, barbecuing, going to the beach. Um, being able to enjoy leisurely time 
that's about it really just uh, relax and enjoy being able to go do something when I want to do it eat something when I want to eat it not have to work all the time yeah I'm, I'm so ready to just I, I, my parents are coming in too my family's coming in um, but I'm just ready to, to just be you know alone in my hotel room or whatever uh, at the end of the day and just watch some YouTube videos and just decompress and, yeah, you know watch some Netflix because that's one of the things and I, I don't know if you find it like hard too but one of the things on deployment um, is just the lack of privacy you're always around other people how have you been Definitely. able to cope with that like what are some of your uh, you know what are some of your hobbies or things that you do in your downtime to kind of just relax on deployment? Um, well I think kind of oddly MCs are pretty introverted uh, like we're fine being in the background and showcasing everyone else um, but I've kind of tried to um, really lay into the opposite of that and trying to like you know hang out with people touch base with people on the mess decks um, but yeah at the end of the day you know when you're ready for bed just being able to watch some of the shows or whatever you downloaded in port that was like a big thing for me you know being able to like have that same feeling that some people would have back at home just like I'm looking forward to seeing this next episode of whatever show uh, and then talking about it with people the next day um, just kind of like the classic work around the water cooler moment that people have in like a day job yeah plus you, you play switch too I've seen you play switch I have my switch too yeah yeah where are you, where are you playing right now uh, right now I'm finishing up um, the Super Mario All-Star 3D collection going through Super Mario Sunshine. I like playing older games, so uh, that, that, that's been... I haven't played as much Switch as I thought I would, actually. Me too! Yeah, yeah I haven't yeah. played in probably three months. I know. It's, it's embarrassing to say, because I got it, like, specifically for deployment. But I haven't yeah. played in, like, three months. Yeah, I, I tried to make a rule. It was, like, only on Sundays I'll list it out and play on the Nest Decks, and then it was, like, every other Sunday. And then... You know, a level stumps you. And I was like, I don't even want to play this game right now because I got enough stressful stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just like <laughs> I need to find something else to do. Okay. So, you're on your upward trajectory in the Navy. What is your kind of, what is your dream that you're building to, or like, what is your goal um, in the Navy, and then after you get out of the Navy? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I was fortunate to meet some people. Uh, during my time at the Defense Information School that had uh, separated from military service and were still able to contribute in one way or another. Um, we met a gentleman that uh, was previously public affairs in the Army and put together a book uh, that showcases Arlington National Cemetery. He's very involved with the cemetery. Um, it's a book that he edited handpicked a lot of photographs for and it's given to every uh, you know service member family whenever somebody is like killed in action or something like that um, which is huge uh, another you know uh, there's a senior chief instructor um, now retired and his job is training you know the next cycle of public affairs professionals um, which is also intriguing um, so long term, definitely want to keep uh, 
contributing as much as I can um, to the nation, whether it's like a government job or contracting job, um, public affairs-wise, as best I can. Uh, Short-term, there's a lot of opportunities for uh, second tour billets. Uh, MCs have a program at Syracuse University that's open to us, which is basically go to school at this university. Um, that's all you got to focus on for a year is getting through that class, whether it's graphic design, photography, or videography. Um, and after that, you know, everywhere the Navy is, we are too. So there's special programs like uh, White House, Camp David, Blue Angels. Um, can be attached to the CBs, uh, you know, underway on carriers, the ship's company. I think it'd be kind of cool to be a uh, ship's company for like the Kennedy when that's ready, whenever that is, you know, uh, carriers first, you know, workups and deployment. It'd be pretty cool to experience. Yeah, plus I know you've been looking at some opportunities to possibly go public affairs officer and go into the officer ranks as well. Yeah. Sir, yeah, age is definitely working against me, but um, either way, the degree is uh, points towards advancement. So, <laughs> yeah, and Syracuse University for everybody at home is one of the best at um, that program, the programs that they offer you. So that's one of the really cool opportunities that they offer. I would highly recommend doing that too. Um, and you mentioned age, being a, a more uh, an older sailor on the ship around a lot of junior, younger people just out of high school, sometimes just out of college. Me just being out of college a few years ago. How do you kind of bridge that gap and be able to, to relate to everybody and, and lead people? Um, I realized pretty quickly uh, with some of my um, MTIs at a school, uh, like everyone basically went through the same experience, whether it's like boot camp or OCS, like that same, what do they say, like life smart, maybe dumb <laughs> kind of thing uh, is humbling. And, you know, ultimately we're all out here experiencing what few people do get to experience um, and just kind of bonding over that, like whatever cool thing or ridiculous thing happened, you know, it's always something people uh, on the ship can relate to and that, that goes a long way. Yeah, and we all start on the same level, too. So, um, Last question. I've heard tales about it, though I have not verified them personally, but I know that this is most likely true. You are in a band. Yeah. An instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you play? What's your band? Where do you play? I, I'm very intrigued by this. Yeah. Tell uh, me more about it. So uh, my wife knows that drums are my first love. Uh, she's fine with that. Um, I started playing percussion in grade school, uh, primarily because they said, who wants to get out of class for a half hour to go audition for the band? And I was like, I'll get out of class for a half hour for sure. Um, a friend of mine taught me a few punk rock songs on guitar, and that was my thing for a long time. Um, so I think I'm more intuitively better at performing on drums, but I like play guitar more. Uh, not very well, which, I mean, I mean, some people disagree, but I think I'm okay. It's kind of, I do my best, I guess. 
but yeah, uh, play guitar in the band. Um, when I moved to Texas, we kind of put things on the back burner for a while, but uh, being close to Arizona, stationed in San Diego, um, you know, I still see everybody and we, we hang out and jam and stuff. But, yeah, what's the name of the band? The uh, name of the band is uh, Lazarus Through the Fight, which is a mouthful. It's a like, post-hardcore, punk rock kind of thing, um, which we stole straight out of the song lyric. <laughs> yeah. You just got inspiration from it. Boom. There's the... So how'd the band form? Yeah. Like, what, how'd you meet these guys and like form this band? Yeah, uh, I went to high school with uh, uh, my friend Ezekiel, who's our bass player, and... Uh, my friend Isaac um, was a really good drummer. He is a really good drummer. Plays in other bands still. Uh, we just saw him play in another friend's band, and I liked the way that he played. And just asked him, like, "You already playing three bands? Are you okay with playing in four? And he was like, "I guess I'll have to talk to my girlfriend and let her know. I'm gonna be really busy." <laughs> um, and then for a while it was like two bands and it was like his band and our band the other ones kind of fell to the wayside uh and so that worked out um but yeah the basically just bonding over music like me and ezekiel would go to a lot of concerts together like in our 20s um chat over AOL and some messenger because that's how old i am uh you know just putting like song ideas and band names back and forth until we found one we liked and just rolled with it. Yeah, and who's your inspiration for guitar and drums? Like, do you have any artists that you really look up to that you kind of want to emulate? Uh, yeah, um, especially on uh, deployment, you know, because you only have, like, what you downloaded and brought with you. I was trying to do deep dive into some um, different artists' uh, discographies, uh, one of which was Deftones. Uh, when I was in high school, the Deftones uh, band from, uh, metal-ish band from uh, Sacramento, California, um, the way their guitar player and their drummer played was like really uh, informational, I guess, seeing different uh, ideas that they put into place. Um, so trying to listen to that again, is, uh, had been a while since I listened to some of their older records. Um, I was trying to get inspiration from that. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, MC2, I, I've, like, this has been such an awesome interview. I always love learning more about you because I, I just love learning from you. Um, I'm going to miss you really a lot um, having you around. It's going to feel really weird not having you around post-deployment. Um, Thanks. But thank you for coming on the Bodar Blast. Um, wanted to have you on as our last guest of the deployment. Boo, BM2 Martinez, this won't make it into podcast. <laughs> but uh, thank you for being part of uh, the Bodar Blast and everything you've done for uh, the command and helping me out too with my personal journey for public affairs. Um, you've been just an invaluable person and member of this group. Yeah, thank you, sir. It's been great being underway with everybody. Uh, it's great to... And thank you, MC2 Negrim, for coming on to the Bodar Blast podcast. Again, I'm honored that you could come on, and I hope I get to work with you again uh, in my career. It's 
it's amazing having somebody who I can learn from and constantly improve on. And I always say it, I always will say it, everything that I've done on the public affairs side is because of the people that have supported me. And MC2 Negron is no less somebody that has supported me. So thank you so much, MC2. Uh, Fair winds following seas. We'll see you in the future. Uh, come back to Decatur very soon. With that, I'll be starting my leave in a couple of days, but I'll stay in touch with you all, and I'll see you in episode 12 of the Bodar Blast after our brief hiatus. See you at the end of July for episode 12. We've got some fun interviews coming up, some great times coming up, and now we're in port, so we can share a little bit more about what we're doing. So we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us on episode 11 of the Bodar Blast. I'm Lieutenant Junior Grade Daniel Ehrlich signing off.